Section 5 of India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in April 2018. The World's Story, Volume 2 India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 5. Savitri's Choice from the Mahabharata. Rewritten by Elizabeth A. Reed. The Mahabharata is one of the famous epics of the Hindus. It is the longest poem in the world, being more than seven times as long as the Iliad and the Odyssey taken together. The word Mahabharata means the great war of King Bharata, but only a small portion of the book is given to the tale of the war, and the book is really a mass of story, philosophy, legend, and mythology. The Editor Long years ago there lived in palace halls the mighty king of Kekaya. Gallant and brave in person, just and beneficent in the administration of the laws of his realm, he was the hero of his people, and they rendered to him a loyal obedience. But King Asvapati carried a desolate heart amid the magnificence which surrounded him, for the gods had written him childless. Through long years of faithful fasting and penance his prayers had been unanswered. But one glad day the goddess of the sun arose from his sacrificial fire. Beautiful and bright she came in the form of glorious womanhood, and rising through the crimson flame stepped into the royal presence, saying, What wilt thou, mighty Raja, that I shall do for thee? I have listened to thy prayers, I have watched thy penance, and seen the bounty of thine offerings. During all the years of thy reign the poor have found in thee a valued friend. And now, O king, I wait to do thy bidding. Tell me now the dearest wish of thy heart. And Asvapati answered, O beautiful goddess, tis for my barren line that I do penance and have performed my vows, lo, these many years. Give me an heir for my throne and kingdom, Give me children to grace my royal hearthstone. Then the radiant goddess, smiling, said, I knew thy wish, O king, and there shall be born a daughter unto thee, not a son, but a fair girl, the loveliest that the stars have ever shone upon. And, smiling still, the beauteous vision vanished in the sacrificial flame. Time passed on with flying feet, and ere long a child was given to the royal house, and courtiers brought their praise unto the palace gates, while the streets of the city were ringing with joyous music, and everywhere the glad news went that the queen had borne a daughter, a babe of loveliest mould. The child was named Savitri, and the happy father made a royal birthday feast, the poor were fed, and the city was decorated with bright flags and long festoons of flowers. Every porch and pillar was made bright and fragrant with floral vines, and the great vases in front of the palace were filled with branches of orange and mango trees. 
the little one who met with such a royal welcome grew more beautiful as the years went by and when she reached the fair heights of womanhood she was a vision of grace and loveliness the lithe figure of this indian maid was like a dream of beauty and grace and the rosy light of health flashed through the olive shades of her face the crimson lips smiled over pearly teeth and the great dark eyes were luminous with light and love but still no raja dared to ask the hand of the princess in marriage her loveliness and truth her queenly independence had awed them into silence at last her father gave to her a princess's right to choose for herself a lord and gave his royal word that the man she chose should be welcomed by her sire a royal train moved through the provinces and visited every court for savitri with her ministers and maidens would take the air and travel for the princess's health they received everywhere a royal welcome but she loved best the trees and groves hence they wandered through the fragrant woods and gathered fruits and flowers there one day they found a hermit aged and blind who with his faithful wife sat in the dense shade of a teak tree whose abundant leaves gleamed in the sunshine above them and protected them from its heat the gentle princess stayed to give them a few kindly words and enjoy the wild flowers around the hermitage while she listened to their story a young man came from the thicket bearing the sacred wood to be used in the evening sacrifice he stopped in wonder and admiration before savitri and her eyes rested a moment upon his manly form and honest face it was satyavan the hermit's son who stayed to serve his aged parents in their banishment the princess had dawned upon his vision like a dream of heaven and like a dream she vanished from his woodland home leaving her memory to haunt his steps and make his loneliness more terrible in the still hours of the night he heard her voice and saw the lovely face which had become part of his being one day the maharaja sat in his council hall with the sage narada they were talking in low tones of the affairs of state when the king's daughter was announced with her dark eyes glowing with light and happiness she stepped into the royal presence and bowed meekly before her father who laid his hand lovingly upon her dark hair as he bent down and caressed his child narada looked in admiration upon the princess and said to the king thy daughter is very fair thou shouldst give her in marriage to the raja of some goodly kingdom for this purpose she has been abroad replied the king then turning to his daughter he said my child hast thou chosen thy lord but she answered not standing before the sage with her face crimsoned with blushes her eyes mutely appealed to her father to stay his questions reading her wish he said fear not my child to speak before the sage narada he is thy father's best and truest friend but tell me if thou hast found the object of thy search then she answered father i have been long away i have visited the courts of princes i have offered sacrifice in the sacred groves and i have found in one of these the banished king of chalva 
who lost his throne and kingdom because of blindness a usurper reigns upon his throne and his faithful queen stays with him in the woodland cot their loyal son ministers to their wants he brings them fruit and game for food he feeds their sacrificial fire and pulls the sacred kusa grass to make their couch both soft and warm he brings fresh water from the passing brook and gives them love and tenderness in their daily need father i have chosen him this banished prince to be my lord then said narada not he my child thou canst not choose the banished satyavan he is both brave and noble a grander youth never trod a kingly court but o'er his head there hangs a fearful fate he is doomed to die and in a year the gods decide that he must go her blushes fled and her cheeks grew strangely pale as she answered whether he live long or die to-day whether he be full of grace and wisdom or graceless stand before me my heart hath chosen once it chooseth not again and i have my father's royal pledge that he will ratify my decision then said the king remember child the sad lot of hindu widowhood and choose again the noblest raja in the land would gladly call thee wife let not this banished youth who has only a year to live take my peerless indian gem into his rough woodland home the dark eyes were raised again to his and in their liquid depths he read her answer even before her lips replied a loyal heart can choose but one and a loyal sire will not revoke his promise then the raja sighed as thou wilt dear child but for thine own sake i would have had thee make a wiser choice one quick look of gratitude flashed from the wondrous eyes then bending her blushing face to kiss her father's hand and reverently bidding the sage farewell she left the council hall having given his royal sanction to his daughter's choice the king ordered that preparations should be made for the coming nuptials though the bride should dwell in lonely hermitage she would still be a king's daughter and her robes even in the woodland should befit her noble birth it was an imperial pageant that went forth to the humble dwelling of the hermit there were the priests and sages and courtiers and the royal family mounted upon the war elephants with their costly trappings amid the strains of martial music the train went forth from the palace gates no courtier had been sent to give warning of their coming therefore the king ordered a halt when near the hermitage and he himself went forward to hold counsel with the blind lord of the humble home courteous salutations were passed between them and after extending the modest hospitalities that still were his the blind king asked what brought the maharaja to his door i have come said he to ask of you that you will ratify my daughter's choice she hath chosen your son satyavan to be her lord then answered the banished king in the days of my proud position it was my ambition to link my house with yours by ties of blood o noble king but now that my kingdom is lost and i am but a dethroned and banished sovereign 
I could not take the lovely princess from her palace home to share our humble fate. But the Raja replied, You and I are both too old to think that happiness is dependent upon luxury. We know that love can hold her sylvan court in humblest power, and your son is the lady's choice. She has chosen to dwell in modest guise with him she loves, rather than share the splendours of another. Shall we deny her wish? Nay, never, said the banished king. Her gracious wish is mine, and great honour she brings to our fallen house. May the blessings of Indra rest upon her beauteous head. And, calling Satyavan, he told him why the Raja came. The bewildered prince could scarcely believe the lovely princess had chosen him. His words were few, but his eyes were eloquent with the joy his lips refused to voice. Then the royal train was ordered into view, and there beneath the massive trees were gathered priest and sage with golden jars filled from the waves of the sacred Ganges. Beyond the great trees where the hermitage stood were thickets of rose laurel, whose fragrance filled the air. On the other side a silver brook was hastening by to find rest on the bosom of a clear lake, beneath the fragrant cups of lotus blossoms and white lilies. Here in nature's temple, beneath her shining dome and beside her sacred pools, with legal rites the two were bound in holy marriage, and love stayed by and held his court where the royal lovers pledged their faith. The Raja and his queen bade their child a fond farewell, and when they passed from sight the princess took from her hands and arms the costly jewels that she wore, and lay aside her silken robes. Then on her delicate form she placed the rough garments that befitted her new station as a hermit's wife. Thus she proved the great love that brought her here. She could not wear a finer robe than he. She could not see her little hands decked with gold and gems, while his were roughened with honest toil. She had chosen to share the fortune of the man she loved, and no ray of barbaric splendour should suggest to him that she cared for things he could not furnish. The grey-haired mother looked smilingly on and loved the loyal wife, whose gracious ways and loving words soon won the heart of the banished king as well. The little family dwelt in their forest home in sweet content, and the days went by on silver feet. To Satyavan it seemed that life's ills all were done, and he rested in the heaven of his happiness, feeling that the gods could do no more. But Savitri carried in her loving heart a fearful dread, a counting of the days when the death decree should be fulfilled. When the sun went down in the sea, and the soft folds of night cooled the fevered earth, she knew that one day less remained to Satyavan. At last the days had nearly fled, the little wife grew strangely still, her gentle loving deeds were still her own, but her songs were hushed in tearful prayers. When the time was nearly come she sat beneath a great tree like a beautiful statue, and neither ate nor drank. For three long days and nights she sat thus, mutely imploring the gods to save from death's decree the man she loved. During all the year she had carried the fatal secret in her own faithful heart. 
she could not pain the others with the weight of her terrible woe and they wondered now at the severity of her penance but they thought she craved some great gift from the gods and they could not deny her wish the fateful day dawned at last and found her weak and faint but she would not taste of food only one plea she made that she might go with satyavan when he went out into the forest to cut the sacred wood for the evening sacrifice tenderly he remonstrated the way is rough and thy little feet are tender the mother's side is a safer place for thee but still she pleaded i cannot let thee go until i am with thee and satyavan looked down into the depths of her fearful eyes that looked back love and tenderness into his own then said he surely thou shalt go and make the dark wood glad with thy sweet presence cheerily he set out axe in hand through the wilderness making a path for the little feet that patiently followed his own the morning was wondrously bright flower-laden trees should here and there along the pathway gigantic climbers grew in the thickets in great profusion interlacing the smaller trees and even piling their gorgeous blossoms upon their heads the sunlight lay upon the surface of the little lake near their home and bright water-birds hovered above the reeds and rushes or settled down amidst the white lilies and fragrant lotus cups near the water's edge away in the distance the himalayas lifted their snowy brows into the blue heavens and reflected the sun rays from their icy peaks is it not beautiful said satyavan pointing to the landscape around him or directing her attention to the strange wild flowers springing from the mosses at their feet and smiling the little wife replied even while the fearful dread around her heart almost stayed its beating afar from home they gathered fruits and flowers for the evening sacrifice and all the while the anxious wife watched with aching heart every look and motion of her lord he struck the tree to gather sacred wood and blow after blow of his axe echoed through the forest at last he reeled in sudden pain and cried i cannot work then falling at her feet he fainted there quickly the beloved head was laid upon her lap and eagerly she strove by chafing the temples and tired hands to bring the life tide back she knew it was the day of fate but still she could not yield suddenly at her side she saw a fearful shape that was neither god nor man tall and dark with visage grim he looked down pitilessly upon them both his garments were crimson as if with blood his cruel eyes glowed like burning coals in their deep sockets in one hand he bore a long black noose and bent over satyavan as the spectre leaned above her husband the trembling princess laid the head tenderly upon the ground and springing up reverently folded her hands in supplication and prayed to know who he was and why he came he answered i am yama the god of death and i am come to bear away the soul of satyavan but pleaded the wife tis thy messengers that bear away the souls of men why is it mighty chief that thou hast come 
because prince satyavan was the grandest noblest of his race replied the god and none save yama's self was worthy to bear his soul away and bending lower still he fitted the dreadful noose and drew out the soul of satyavan then silently he strode away toward the southland with his prize leaving the poor body pale and cold with life and grace and beauty gone but the stricken princess followed him with her hands folded in supplication she hastened on behind this fearful king of death at last he turned go back said he why dost thou follow in my steps no mortal heir has dared to come whither i shall go go back and perform the funeral rites for thy dead lord but she replied wherever my lord is born there i shall surely go he is my life my all i cannot leave him and i must go with thee by reason of my wifely love thou wilt let me come and still she followed on until the king of death himself felt pity for the faithful wife and turning back he said return my child to life and health thy wifely love is good but the kingdom of yama is not the place for thee still i will grant thee any boon that thou dost crave except this life that i am bearing away then said savitri let the blind and banished king my husband's father have both his sight and throne restored it shall be so returned the god i grant thee this because of thy purity and fidelity but now turn back our way is long and dark thy little feet are already weary and thou wilt die upon the road i am not weary said savitri i cannot tire while i am near to satyavan wherever he is born there the loyal wife must go and the tireless feet toiled patiently on behind the king of death until he turned again and said darkness is coming on soon thou canst not find thy way alone i will give to thee another boon anything except this life and then thou must return quickly the princess thought of her own sire whose only child now followed death thought of his lonely home and coming age and she said give to my father princely sons to bear his royal name this is the boon i crave o mighty one so shall it be returned the king and now i have granted thy wishes go back to life and light but she only answered plaintively i cannot go great king i cannot leave my lord thou hast taken him and my heart is in thy hand i must surely come with thee darkness came slowly down in the dense forest and her tender feet were torn with thorns and cut with the sharp stones of the rugged path hungry wolves and jackals pressed around her while night birds spread their black wings above her and startled the silence with their cries trembling with terror and faint with grief and hunger she still pursued her way her tear-blinded eyes could no longer see the terrible shape she followed but she heard his footfalls and almost felt his fearful strides 
for it seemed that every step came down upon her bleeding heart. At last they came to a cavern, dark and damp as death itself, and here again Yama turned upon the pitiful figure in the darkness behind him, and this time he fiercely demanded, Art thou still upon my track? If thou wert not so true and good, I would take thee in my arms, and my worms should feed upon thy beauty. But thou art truth itself, and I will give to thee, poor child, one more boon. In pity for thy grief I will give thee anything thou wilt, except this life within my hand. Then answered Savitri, Give me children, the sons of Satyavan. Let me bear to him brave loyal heirs of his goodness and his truth. Death grimly smiled. Should he be conquered yet by this little Hindu wife? But he answered, Yama hath promised thee, and I must grant thee even this. Then with rapid strides he entered the great vault of the cavern, while the startled bats and owls flapped their dark wings and made the place more hideous with their cries. But still he heard the patter of patient feet behind him, and his burning eyeballs blazed in the darkness upon poor Savitri. Go back, he said, thou shalt return, I will bear no longer with thy persistent following. I would go back, O mighty Yama, if I could, wailed the weary wife, but in your hands you carry my own life. Tis only my helpless frame that follows thee, and now I am so weak with grief and fear that I must come nearer to Satyavan. And the tired head drooped upon the dark, cold hand of death, close to the life she craved. The pitiless king felt the soft touch of tear-wet cheeks and clinging hair, and again his cruel heart was softened by her faithful love. Thou art innocent itself, and tenderness, and truth, said Yama, Thou hast taught me lessons new of woman's fidelity. Ask any boon thou wilt, and it shall be thine. Then at his feet she fell in grateful joy and tenderly caressed him. This time, O king, she cried, thou hast accepted nothing, and I ask not wealth, nor throne, nor heaven itself. I crave my heart, my life, Give me my Satyavan. The fire in his eyes beamed more softly, and the light in them was almost tender as he said, Fair queen, thou art the brightest gem of womankind. Here, take thy Satyavan. Saved by his peerless wife, he long shall live and reign with her, and his line shall be upheld by princely sons who shall call thee mother. Go now, my child, time hasteth, and long hast thou been with me. Then, turning gloomily away, he went down, down into the darkness of the cavern. But the glad wife, holding her precious treasure close to her heart, retraced her steps back through the darkness of cavern and wood, her torn feet climbing the ascending stairway, fearing nothing, knowing nothing, save that in her arms she carried her beloved. 
it was dark in the forest where the dense foliage almost shut out the light of noontime but it was lighter here where only little groves of sacred fig trees and thickets of flowering shrubs obscured the vision and traces of gold and crimson still lingered round the setting sun thankful for the light she hastened to where the body lay and raising the head pressed it tenderly again to her bosom and gently wooed the life-tide to heart and pulse soft and warm his hand became and his lips moved to speak a tender word that had died upon them when yama came the evening light was gone and darkness came down with velvet touch around them but the glorious stars came out and the southern constellations flashed like crown jewels above the living prince and his loyal wife end of section five